Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Every six months, we have to go to the doctor to make sure my wife, Nathalie, is doing well. It went from it went from every three months to every six months. And every six months, pretty much now, the protocol is the same. The protocol is the same. The very first thing they do when they ask her to come back is the, they want to uh, weigh her to make sure that she's not losing weight rapidly. If you understand cancer, one of the biggest things is that is that all of a sudden you're dropping weight really, really fast for no reason, and so they weigh her, and, and I always try to sneak a peek, but they don't let me, and I'm standing right there. And then the next thing they do, guys, is as she sits down, they uh, check her blood pressure. Her blood pressure. You go, yeah, Ben, that's pretty, that's pretty standard. Now, you need to know that every time um, that they check her blood pressure as we're waiting to speak to the doctor, it's always high. It's always high. And, and so we were kind of concerned. And, um, and, 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 and although you guys know we believe with all of our hearts that God healed her from cancer, we believe that, there's still some anxiety anytime we see the oncologist. You never know. And so um, it's natural for her to be a little bit uh, anxious, and so they go in, and, and the blood pressure runs a little high. But what happens now is that we've we've had the same protocol for a while that that the nurse is kind of like, yeah, it's running a little high, and then they kind of move us along. Nathalie's blood pressure, and most like ours, will run high during those visits, those office visits, specifically of cancer. If I were to test her after when the doctor said things are good, you're fine, we'll see you in six months, it probably would drop down to almost, almost normal. But what I found interesting, guys, is early on, the doctor was really concerned, not so much now, but for good reason. Let me explain. High blood pressure is called the silent killer. You go, whoa, why, why, whoa. There are no warning signs. One minute you feel fine, and the next you go, man, I don't feel so fine. And some of the consequences of untreated high blood pressure, well, again, there are some consequences. And high blood pressure, again, if it's not treated right, is dangerous because what it does is it makes the heart work very, very hard. And and so it's pumping, and it also makes the walls of the arteries hard. And so the ultimate consequence to long-term high, high blood pressure, it's obviously could be death. You got to be careful. But it also, some of the consequences could be a stroke, you know this, impaired vision, arteries and, and coronary artery disease, and it could do, lead to kidney damage. As a matter of fact, you could have a heart attack. And in, in some cases, it's congestive heart failure. So you can see when the doctor does the blood pressure and it's high or it's elevated, they're concerned. You go, Ben, let me ask you a question. If it's, if it's high blood pressure, what, what are the warning signs? Like, like, what should I look for? Well, in high blood pressure, church, listen, there's usually, there's no obvious symptoms. 
There's not something. Now, in some rare cases, you might have a experience a persistent headache, and I'm not talking about your husband. I'm talking about the headache, okay? Or you might have nosebleeds or shortness of breath, or sometimes it's a double vision. And that's why they call it the silent killer. Now, the reason I share this story is not so much to worry you about your blood pressure, but it really correlates with what we're going to study tonight. You go, well, how so? Well, I want to talk to you tonight about spiritual attacks. Spiritual attacks. I feel like we're all under them. I feel like the different, I was talking to Amanda earlier, and one of the things that she said is she said, man, it just feels like it's not Christmas, like we're only a few days and it doesn't feel like, and it's probably because all the things that are going on in the world, and, and we have the war in Israel, and all the stuff that's happening, and you're, she's probably right. But like high blood pressure, like the stroke, like the all of the stuff we talk to, I mean, in a similar manner, many of us guys as Christians, what happens is we seem to be blindsided by these spiritual attacks. We seem to be blindsided. We're just kind of doing our thing, right? And, and it, when it comes to these attacks, it's crucial to recognize the warning signs for survival. So tonight... Let's spend some time talking about these attacks. Now, I want to give credit to where credit is due. I read this article from Charisma Magazine. It was actually published by a pastor named Jensen Franklin. He's the one who wrote it. And he said he, these are his eight signs, but I think we can develop them and we can um, just see if we're under this great spiritual attack. Now, before we move on, let's take a moment to define what spiritual attacks are. Okay? For example... Many believers feel like they're under attack when they get a flat tire, right? Oh, I got a flat and, 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 and this could be an attack, your flat tire, or maybe you just ran over a nail somewhere where you weren't, you know, just doing an errand, okay? I woke up Monday morning, I got in my truck, I was headed to the gym, and my lovely truck decided to alert me that I had low tire pressure, and it was, oh... So I get down and look, and sure enough, there was a screw in it. And when I got to the dealership or to the, or to the tire place, he's like, oh, do you usually run over screws? I said, yeah, I really kind of look for them. Could we just fix this? It wasn't a spiritual attack, but some people believe that. If you were to ask some people, they go, oh, yeah, oh, man, the devil, the devil put that tire, he put that tack right there, he put that, the devil put that screw in there. Maybe. But let me break it down a little bit more. When it comes to spiritual attacks, church, there's usually two groups of people. You go, well, what are they? Well, you have the first group. And the first group is everything is a spiritual attack. You understand that? That's kind of where they live. The city puts rock down on the road, and they're driving a little bit dirt, and a rock dings your windshield, and it, and, oh, that was an attack. Oh, my gosh, I'm under attack. Oh, pray for me, Lord Jesus. What happened? And, and, and so you sort of do this. I'll tell you another one, and you got to be careful with this. You get fired for doing a lousy job, and you go home and say, oh, I'm under attack. My boss doesn't like me. Well, did you do the work? Well, I did. Really? They wrote you up. Three. You guys get the point. Their everything is attack. Everything that goes wrong is considered a spiritual attack, no matter what. No matter what. I'm being attacked. Why? They got my order wrong at the Taco Bell. That devil, he knew I want, you know, and you're just like, that's how people are. That's how people are. 
But then you have the second group. And the second group's a little bit different. These people have no idea that they're in a spiritual battle. Kind of like the high blood pressure. They end up maybe with heart failure or blurred vision when it comes to the things of God. And so they don't even realize that what they're doing and they're under attack. And so God has much more for them. And so you have group one who everything's an attack. And you have group two who goes, I don't even know if I'm under attack. I don't even know what's going on. I just know. So those are the two groups. Now, before we jump into the study, I want you to labor with me for just a minute because I want to talk to you again about spiritual attack. I believe that we all get attacked, you ready? Simply for being followers of Jesus. That's You're going to get attacked. Okay, I know it's three days before Christmas or four days, whatever it might be, and you're thinking, well, I thought Pastor Ben was going to just bring a happy-go-lucky message, and now we're talking about spiritual attacks, and I'm not... But, but, but here's why. Listen, I think if you're aware of them, I think as a believer, you understand them, it's going to catapult you to a deeper walk with God. Here's why. Because I think we've got to get our foundation even solid for 2024. I think we've got to get deeper in with the Lord. We've got to walk with Jesus tighter than ever before. And so if we can, if we can relate to some of these, right? If we can relate to some of them, go, oh, okay. Then we can make the corrections. But I believe, come on, church, that we're all under attack simply because you wear the name Christian. The name Christian is Christ-like. You are to be a representative of Christ. You are to look and act and, and be like Jesus. There should be some progressive sanctification. In other words, you should be different tomorrow than you were today as you continue to grow. That's the key. The Bible tells us in John 10.10, 10, the reason we're under attack, it says because he tells us the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. What's he saying, guys? He's saying that that thief doesn't come except to kill, steal, and to destroy, okay? So what does he steal? Well, the first thing he wants to steal, particularly in this season, is he wants to steal your joy and your peace. Can I get an amen? That's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to steal that joy. He wants us to be at this time on a Wednesday night thinking, Oh my gosh, I need to be shopping. I didn't get that present. What about this? What about that? And he's trying to rob us of all of, of, of worshiping the Lord. Do you realize that the enemy wants to kill you? Even if you go, well, let him, because I'll go to heaven, then you won't be a threat down here. He says, oh, well, get rid of him, because then he won't be a threat. He won't be a threat. But more importantly, I'll tell you what he tries to do. You ready? Jot this down. He wants to kill your dreams. He wants to kill your dreams. He wants to kill your relationships. You've got to grasp that. He wants to kill the very thing that makes you, you. The joy and the smiling, the happiness. He wants to kill that. He wants us to be a Christian of a shell. Just a shell of a Christian. That's us. And we don't, lack, we don't have the power of the gospel in our lives. And we're walking around and we're so tired and we're so, we're so over it and he wants to kill that. But he also wants to destroy your testimony. Your testimony. You see, what's the best way? The best way is for an unbeliever to look at your life and say, oh, well, you did this, but you're, huh, your testimony. 
You see, the devil doesn't care if he wants to destroy your reputation because your reputation is what people think of you. Your testimony is what people think of God because of you. And you've got to understand that. Remember, as it comes through, what people think of God because of you and how you live and your character. Now, take a moment, guys. Take a moment. Let's let the Holy Spirit do the work that he wants to do. How is it in our testimony? How is it in our walk? What do you mean, Pastor? Well, we have to be so careful that we don't walk a walk of hypocrisy, that we're saying one thing and we're living completely, and we're living where nobody else can see, and then when we get around our church folks, we're like, praise God, God bless you, how were you? And then we're back over here, and, and, and the Holy Spirit wants to do a work because we know what the enemy wants to do. And so what the Holy Spirit will do is begin to reveal it so that you and I can repent and we can confess and we can get back right with God. But I want to take it to the next level. What do you mean? If you are today living the gospel of Jesus Christ every day, not just preaching it, but your life so reflects the gospel, the good news, guess what? You will be attacked all the more. You see, it's one thing about saying, oh, praise God, you need Jesus. You see, that's the key. That's the key. We sit there and we say, we can preach to somebody and say, you need Jesus. But when this other person looks at our lives and it displays the glory of God and worship unto him, then that's the gospel lived out, not just preached. God is so good. God is so good. Because my friend that I've been trying to win for Jesus, man, we had a, we had a Holy Spirit encounter. Said, we said after we worked out, and, and I don't know when it was, what day, it was Monday, and I said, well, let's go get some coffee. Natalie needed some coffee. If you go over to Scooters, it's pretty inexpensive. So there we go. When we get in my truck... Listen, church, God is so good. The, I always have it on radio by grace. And the very message that was coming from the radio, he's listening to this. Now, I've, we've, had some, we've had some interaction before, and I've told them, and, and, and I was like, oh, oh, the very words this pastor was saying, I was just like, wow. I said, that's to you. That's to you. And, he, and I'm thinking he wants to turn on the radio. He wants to turn it up. And then it got hostile. It really did. He's like, what after? And it was just like, it was really weird. But I was like, oh man, here's what you do. What happens if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs? The one you hit is the one that yelps the loudest, right? And so the Holy Spirit was hitting. I'm just like, whoa, you got hit right there, bro. Here's the point. The reason my friend isn't a Christian is because he's seen the hypocrisy of so many Christians. He's dated girls that have called themselves Christians, but didn't act like Christians. He's seen other people that say they're Christians and, and whatever else they'll do. So what do I have to do? I have to, guys, not only preach the gospel from behind this pulpit, but I have to live it so he can see it. That's what we're talking about. And if we're going to do that, guess what happens? You're going to be attacked. You're going to be attacked on the decisions that you make for your family. It, <clears throat> if your life 
is like what the great theologian Jonathan Edwards once wrote. He wrote this, resolution number one, I will live for God. Resolution number two, if no one else does, I still will. If that's your resolution, like Jonathan Edwards, I'm going to live for God. If no one else wills, does, I still will. You can bet, if you have those resolutions, you'll be under spiritual attack. So, you ready? With that as our intro, let's take a moment and walk through eight signs that you're under spiritual attack. Number one, number one, jot this down. You will have a loss for a, a loss of a spiritual desire. You will have a loss of a spiritual desire. You see, the goal of any spiritual attack, you ready, church, is to turn you away from what God wants to do in your life. That is why the first warning sign of attack is a loss of spiritual desire. Here's what I want to say. You and I, we don't live by feelings alone. But there's a difference between doing something merely out of obligation and doing something because you delight in it. I want to take you back. I want to take you back, guys, and I want to remind you of when you first got saved. I want to take you back to that day when you fully understood and you were really saved and you prayed a prayer and you were walking with Jesus. I want to take you back because there was nothing you wouldn't do for him. It was fully out of just... And it wasn't out of out of duty. You see, listen, when you delight in the Lord, guys, nothing else compares. Someone passionate for God finds pleasure in the things of God. Let me say that again. Someone passionate for God finds pleasures in the things of God. Let me illustrate it this way, guys. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Revelation chapter 2. You guys know this story very great, very much, but, but look at Revelation chapter 2 in your Bibles. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. You guys know the story. It says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Your attention, please. First and foremost, he's speaking of Jesus, Jesus in the midst of the church. And now Jesus is going to tell, give them a, a, this incredible letter. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, I know your works. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I know what you're doing. In other words, God sees what you're doing. He sees the effort. He looks at your heart. He says, your labor, your patience that you cannot bear those who are evil. And at that point, we'd go, amen. Why? Because there's a lot of evil going on in our country. There's a lot of evil in the news. And you and I, we get this righteous anger. We're like, no, that needs to stop. And, and, and the Lord would commend you. <laughs> amen. He says, you have tested those who are apostles and are not and have found them liars. You have persevered and have patience and you've labored for my namesake. And have not become weary. And everybody go, hallelujah, amen. This is a great thing. I wouldn't want to hear the Lord Jesus say that to you. Wow. 
And I wish there was not a verse 4 because now there's some, it's like, oh, can you imagine? I want you to think God coming down, he's like, listen, Adam and Tiffany, you're doing a great, I mean, he just, he just, he, he just, oh, wow. And, and you work hard and you love me and this is great. And, but he says something very interesting. Verse 4, nevertheless. To me, nevertheless is like that, what? You know that the, the nails on the chalkboard where it's like, oh, Lord, no, don't say that. <laughs> no, Lord. He says, I have this against you. What do you think he has against him? Now, I know you're reading it up there, but look at me for a second. If the Lord said, I have this against you, what would you think? It, what would go through your mind immediately? What, is, what does he have against Okay, well, maybe, maybe, okay, well, I gave 9.5% of tithe last year, wasn't 10. Maybe he has that 5.5 against me. Maybe it's my giving. No, I don't know. What could it be? Oh, I know what it was. You know what it was? It was at that stoplight. You know, when that person in front wouldn't go, and I hung the horn, and I yelled out, hey, move it, you know, or, oh, maybe that's what he has against me. Yeah. Maybe it was when we were at the restaurant, and, uh, and, and I was hungry, and then I got hangry, and I decided, oh, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, if the next person they call to, I'm just going to, that's me, and Whatever, you're just thinking things that you did wrong, but you're never thinking what he's about to say. Notice what he says. He says, I have this against you, right? And it's going to be clear to the point. He says that you left your first love. You left your first love. You left your first love. Now, I want you to see this. You didn't lose it. You didn't, you didn't lose it. You're just like, oh, man, where's... <laughs> I put that thing? Where's, where's my love for Jesus? You know? Oh. He says, you left it. You left it. And that would be hard to take from the God that we're supposed to love. You left your first love. You don't love me like you did. You didn't love me when you, remember when you first got saved and, and, and we would, we'd hang out? Remember when, when you'd pray and, and you'd cry and I would wipe your tears and I'd tell you everything was going to be all right. And, and now, you kind of pass me in the hall, don't you? Hey, Jesus, I'm going to work. See ya. you. You left it. But I have a remedy, the Lord says. He says, remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. What, do we, what does repent mean? It means to change direction. And so, so this church was doing everything right, guys, everything. This church was working hard. They were calling out evil. Man, they, it, was, it was amazing. But what they were doing it out of duty, and they had left their first love, Jesus. Where's your first love tonight? Where's your first love? This church had lost their desire for God. And that's not, that's, it, it just seems that these days that's easy thing for us to do. We get so distracted with the things of the world. We get so distracted that we forget that desire for God. When we do a spiritual inventory, 
Are we really lacking a desire to pursue, to pursue him, to love him? I mean, think about this. I want you to ask this question. Do I read my Bible? Do I attend church? Do I give money out of duty? Do I feel like I have to? I feel like, well, here's my tithe, Lord. I don't want you to go broke. You know, I mean, you gotta, we got to make sure and, and yeah, I'll show up or, or whatever it might be. But, but I mean, are we do, what, what's, what's motivating us? as believers. And let me tell you, think about what Lubbock would be like if you and I had such a passion for God like we once had. Think about what our world would be like. Think about what our family would be like. I'm not saying be obnoxious. I'm not saying getting your cousins in a headlock and, you know, you need Jesus or anything. I'm talking about your passion. Everything you do is just about the gospel. And whoever you run into, oh man, wow. A deep devotion and a love for him. Hey, do you remember when worship songs used to make you cry? Do you remember? Do you remember when you used to sit there and just worship him? You weren't doing it to impress your husband. You weren't doing it to impress your wife. You weren't doing it. It was just you and him. And it seemed like the whole world went dark and you were just worshiping him. And tears were, these were just tears of joy. And you, just, you just felt his presence. And the one thing you told yourself is, I never want to leave this place. I never want to leave this place. I know I've got to go to work, but this is so sweet. Do you remember those days? Do you remember the days when you carried your Bible everywhere you went? And if you had a few minutes, you were in the Word and you were just soaking up God's Word. This is what he's talking about. And you go, okay, well, what are you talking again, Ben? Well, well think about this. If I was your enemy and I was going to attack you, the first thing I would do is I would try to, to, to get you to what to, to lose your spiritual desire. It's okay. You're okay. It's all good. You don't have to be so radical. Calm down. You've been walking with Jesus. How long? No, you're fine. You're saved. You know what? Your family doesn't want to hear it again this Christmas. No, calm down. But dig a little bit deeper. Think a little bit deeper in your heart. It's like, Lord, Lord, my heart trembles at your word, God. I, I don't want just head knowledge, but I want a heart knowledge. I want it to move me. you could be facing that first spiritual attack. Let me give you a second one. According to Charisma Magazine, you ready? Jot this down. It's physical fatigue. You're just tired. You're just tired. Think about it. The second warning sign is physical fatigue. Now, I know it doesn't sound very spiritual, but keep in mind that we're created beings. We're created body, soul, and spirit. And if my body is weak and I'm super tired, then guess what? It allows things to get into my mind, my soul, and that allows things negatively to affect my spirit. You're just tired. Let me shoot this at you. You can jot this down if you're taking note. One of the greatest attacks happens is probably on a Thursday. On a Thursday. You go on a Thursday, you've already worked hard on Monday, Tuesday, you came to church on Wednesday, now you get up on Thursday, and that's usually the time before. Like Friday, you're pumped, you're like, I'm Friday, yes! But Thursday night, 
you're tired. Physically. Physically. And let me say this. You ready? Many times we face our greatest attacks just before the great promotion or just after a great victory. Keep in mind, when you're going through it, an attack could be a very well indication that you're about to be promoted or you just came off a great victory. A great victory. When you have when you have that beautiful reminder of God's Holy Spirit that you need to get right with him, you need to move in, that's usually in that time frame when you'll be attacked. Usually. Usually. One of the greatest physical, one of the greatest spiritual attacks is, is just being physically tired. Tired. Reminds me, guys, of the children of Israel as they journeyed through Moab. Do you guys remember the story? They were coming out. They were heading into the promised land. They were all together. They were singing. Now, again, what should have taken them just a few days ended up taking them what? Do you remember? Yeah. But that wasn't the issue. The issue was is that you had a group of Amalekites. The Amalekites in Scripture is a type of the flesh. I want you to remember that. A type of the flesh, Amalekites. Okay? And what would happen is they came through Moab. What did the Amalekites do? They hid behind rocks, and then they would attack. Who would they attack? They weren't, they weren't attacking the full group of the Israelites. Guess who they were attacking? They were attacking the stragglers. They were attacking those who were tired, those in the back of the line. And you know what they do? They would pick them off, and nobody even knew they were gone. You go, well, Ben, what should I do? Guys, we have to make sure that we're getting plenty of rest, and we understand that that could be, you know, understand when you're tired, get some rest. Get that physical rest in you, or else, guess what? This is when the enemy could come and attack you. So you have number one, right? Uh, you go, what, it, what, what was number one again? You'll have a loss of spiritual desire. You'll kind of lose that loving feeling like the Righteous Brothers used to sing. You'll get that. You'll lose that. You'll, you, you still love Jesus, but it's not, it's not that, once, that once fervency and fire that you once had. He said, the second one is, you know, you're just tired. There's that physical fatigue. What happens when you're physically tired? What's the first thing to go? Fellowship. Fellowship. I'm just going to stay home. I'm just going to rest. Now I'm preaching to the choir because y'all are here. But think about it. This is exactly what happens. And then you miss out on the blessing. You're tired. Let me give you a third one. It's kind of an interesting one. Again, these are not mine. These are Jensen's. But he says, you are under lack attack. This is what I was, lack attack? What does that mean? He says, the third time is that you're under attack is that is a lack attack. He goes, there are times when it seems that all your resources at once dry up at the same time. All your resources. Okay? But specifically money. Money. And the enemy, what he does is he realizes that all your resources are being emptied. You don't have anything in you, specifically money. And enemy gets, he uses this, guys, to... to, to get you to take your eyes off of God and to put your eyes on money. On money. He, you, you might, ooh, oh, come on, Lord. You might be under spiritual attack like this 
if all of a sudden he's getting your eyes off the calling and and the blessings that he's given you, and he's and, he, and, and we're more focused in on on money, on things. Guys, say goodbye to Revelation. Turn to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. You guys know this, but Matthew chapter six, verse twenty-four. Jesus is speaking, and he says, "No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other." or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This is the word of the Lord. This is Jesus. He's saying you can't serve both. As a matter of fact, think about this. In the message, and I don't usually uh, quote the message, but I like the way he says it here. In the message translation, he says, you can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration feeds contempt for the other. He says, you cannot worship God and money both. Can I get an amen? He goes, you go, Ben, what's your point? If our enemy can get you to worry rather than worship, you will start making decisions based on opportunity rather than anointing. Oh, I've got to say that again. If our enemy can get me to start worrying rather than worshiping, my decisions from there on out are going to be based on what's the best opportunity, not what God is anointing me to do. I wonder, saints of God, how many times we worried rather than worshiped. We worried and rather than worship. You know, my wife has a saying. She always tells me whenever there's, hey, well, we, we can't afford this or we're doing this. She always tells me God has lots of money. Does he not? God has lots of money. And I'm going, but he hasn't given it to me yet. I mean, I'm just, and that's, that's, my, that's my worry part. But I wonder what God would do. I wonder and I wonder what he would do in your life is if you did have all the money in the world or you didn't walk by faith anymore and you didn't pray and you felt that money could take care of everything. I wonder what we would do as a church if we didn't have to pray and really seek God for everything that we're, we're doing. But we're like, oh, yeah, here, write a check. Oh, write a check. Oh, yeah, take it. Blah, 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 blah. And we just didn't include God in any of our decisions anymore. Remember this, there are two times in your life when you're going to be especially vulnerable to temptation. You ready? When you have nothing and when you have everything. When you have nothing and when you have everything. Here's the application. You ready? Stay close to God in both good times and bad times. Stay close to God on the mountaintops and stay close to God in the valleys. I'm really good to cry out to God in the valleys. But in the mountaintops, there are times I think, I got this! And the Lord's like, really? Number four. Number four. You ready? Jot this down. We have a weak prayer life. 
we have a weak prayer life. The fourth sign that you are under a spiritual attack is a weakening prayer life. Weakening. Turn a few pages to the right in Matthew 26. You should be right there. Go, Just keep going a little bit. Matthew 26. I want to show you something. I want to show you the principle of what I'm talking about here. Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, it says, And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, let me, I don't want to pull this verse out of context, because if we pull it out of context, I can make it a pretext. In the context, you guys understand. The disciples, this is this is this has been a long, it's been a long three years for them. You know what? He says, man, listen, watch and pray. They were tired. They're just like, listen. So I get, I get the context, but I wonder if we can use the principle. You go, what's the principle? Do we have a weak prayer life? When it comes to prayer, would we rather be sleeping? Would we rather be doing something else? Do we have a strong, godly prayer life? Prayer life. How's your prayer life? I'll tell you the first thing that happens in a prayer life is there's distractions. The enemy is good at distractions. If you're going to stop and pray, all of a sudden there's, there's just distractions. And I don't care if it's your phone. I don't care if it's your own brain going, oh, I need to see what's on Facebook before I get to pray. Oh, wait, who? Oh, no, that's a funny Instagram. <laughs> that's a great, okay. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm supposed to pray. Sorry, Lord. But I got, but I got my, prayer, my prayer app here. So, and be careful with your prayer app here because this leads you into other stuff. But there's always distractions. But I got to ask you, is your life, is your, is your prayer life weakening? Is it different than it was six months ago? Is it different than it was a year ago? Your prayer life. Your pra- Jesus taught us all to pray. Yeah, pastor, I just don't have the time, man. I just get up a little bit earlier. Wait, that's my sleep. That's my precious sleep. No, no, no. I mean, I think think we need to have a strong prayer life, don't you? Oh, Pastor Ben, dude, chill. I pray in my car, I pray wherever I go, I'm just always praying, I'm praying without ceasing. But make sure if you're under attack, what happened is that you're not praying like you used to. And the fervency that you used to. Let me illustrate it, listen to this. When Luther's puppy happened to be at the table, he looked for a morsel from his master. He watched with open mouth and motionless eyes. He, Martin Luther, said, oh, if I could only pray the way this dog watches the meat. All his thoughts are concentrated on the piece of meat. Otherwise, he has no thought, wish, or hope. (laughs) And if you've ever had a dog, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Reminds me of my little Sammy dog. We had a golden retriever. And our golden retriever used to sit right here when I ate, and he'd just look at me. And before the meal was done, he was drooling so much. It was just like, it was disgusting. Sam, 
but it reminded me, what if we prayed the same way those dogs just looked, hoping for a, a morsel, just a piece of something you give them? Wow. That's what Luther said. He told us, guys, that we... That the, the fourth sign is, is that you might be under the spiritual attack this evening is that, is that you have a weakening prayer life. And maybe tonight you have what we call fatalistic, um, it's kind of fatalistic theology, fatalistic prayer life. You're going to say, God's going to do whatever he's going to do anyway, so that doesn't matter. I don't need to pray, or he doesn't listen I want you to think about your prayer life. There are times when we pray that seemingly God doesn't answer, does he? He doesn't. Or at least he doesn't answer the way I want him to. And you guys know this, and I think we need to take it to heart once again. When it comes to prayer life, what are the answers? The answers are yes, no, and wait. Wait. I always want a yes, because I think I know what's, what's best for me. I want a yes, Lord. Oh, Lord, if I could just have, oh, God, please, you know, look, look, God, please. You not see? And God's like, dude, wait, I got something better for you. I don't want to. Don't we throw a fit? I don't want to, Lord. I want, I want this. We, our kids are a great example of how they teach us how God is, Right? Your kids, right? Your kid. You have something great for him, and he's, and he's throwing a fit over something little, and you're like, no, but you don't. And he teach, they teach us so much about God, don't they? But I wonder if that's like us. That's like us. Let me give you number five. Are you feeling overwhelmed and hopeless? That's number five. Feelings of being overwhelmed and hopeless. That could be a sign that you're under attack. The word circumstance comes from two works. Circum means being encircled and stance where we get the word stand. In other words, guys, he's saying you're standing encircled by what's going on and it doesn't take long for feelings being overwhelmed leading to hopelessness. I know it's silly, and the first time I heard it, I thought, that's silly. But you would go up to a brother, and how you doing, brother? Pretty good under the circumstances. And the other brother would go, what you doing under the circumstances? And, and it sounds silly, but it's like, yeah, what am I doing under the circumstances? Well, it could be that you're under attack. The enemy's coming in, and he's allowing the circumstances in our lives to what? To create those feelings of being overwhelmed and hopeless. Wow. <sighs> I want everybody here to take a big, deep breath, no matter what happens in the next few days, no matter if you have to be at 15 places throughout the week, or you don't have anyone coming, no matter, Lord, thank you. Okay, I don't want the circumstances to dictate and, 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 and again, bring that feeling of hopelessness. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 11, or 13.12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. It also tells us, faith is the substance of things hoped for 
and the evidence of, not, of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Here's the point. If the enemy can get you to lose hope, he can get you to stop living by faith. Did I mention you have a real enemy? Did I mention you have someone who is constantly trying to kill, to rob, and destroy? Did I mention that because you're a born-again believer, a born-again follower of God, you're going to be under it, you're going to be attacked. You're going to be attacked. There's going to be these things in your life. And you go, man, yeah, yeah. Let me give you number six. Number six, jot this down. Old habits and lifestyles resurface. Old styles and lifestyles. Old habits and lifestyles resurface. The sixth sign that you're under a spiritual attack is that old iniquities begin to resurface in your life. You go, Ben, what's an iniquity? Well, some consider iniquities to be those old habits that your soul wants you to fall back on when things aren't going your way. Things that indulge the flesh. If this begins to happen, do not ignore the warning conviction of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. You want to know if you're under attack? Take a moment to look at your life and see if some of those old things in your BC days are pulling you back in. You go, well, give me an example, Pastor. Well, you might always have the temptation, and you know, from your old life. Always there. Calling you, hey, come back to the things that you, that old lifestyle. This is, always could be an attack. This is an attack on you. You guys remember Peter in the crucifixion? What did, what, did, what did God call, right? He's hanging out with Jesus. He's learning from Jesus. He's three years into walking with the Messiah. And Jesus says, hey, guess what, Pete? I'm going to call you to be a fisher of men. I'm going to use you in just major ways, Pete. Pete, you're going to be great in the kingdom, man. Just stick with me. And what happened? After the crucifixion, right, what happened? Jesus calls him into the ministry but I want you to note his words after that it was all said and done. Look at John 21, verse 3. John 21, verse 3 says, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Now, I don't know if he said it like that, but I feel like he did. I'm going fishing. And notice what they said. We're going with you also. Well, wait, 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 wait. Pete, Pete, bro, you're called to be a fisher of men. I called you in the ministry. You walked with me. The other guys are like, well, I guess we'll go too. Pete. And they went out immediately, got in the boat. Guess what? And that night they caught nothing. Ever been there? Where you caught nothing? I'm going back. And, and again, I want you to think of, I want you to think of the one thing that just seems to be pulling you back. And guys, let's be honest. Let's be real. Real talk in church tonight, and it could be sex. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. It could be pornography, it could be gambling, it could be anything that just pulled anything of your lifestyle that you knew was crucified at the foot of the cross, just wants to call you back. Now, it doesn't have the power in your life unless you give it. See, I've called you to go fishing. I'm... I'm fisher of men. No, I think I'm going to go back to my old lifestyle. Really? Did, did that satisfy you, bro? And I love the fact that Jesus restored him into the ministry. But remember, it's that pulling. 
Let me give you number seven. You can feel like you're being attacked, guys, if, if you're pulling away from godly relationships. You're pulling away. When old iniquities start tempting you, the next sign of a spiritual attack is sure to follow. What's that? Pulling you away from godly relationships. And it's time for us to do a heart check. Have you pulled out of relationships with people at church? People who are godly and people who have walked with you. That's key. Are more and more of your friends, people you hang out carnally minded rather than spiritually minded? Listen, if your friends, your brothers, and your sisters are not pushing you unto righteousness, pushing you towards godliness, or are they taking you away from God? Are they pulling you away? Listen, if so, guys, you're stumbling around the battleground and the enemy has a target on your head. The Bible calls us as brothers and sisters as iron sharpens iron as we walk together, as we push each other up, as we encourage each other. We're all in, the, we're all in this together, and this is why he made... Can you imagine if, if the Lord Jesus called and he says, this is the body of Christ, but your foot decided to do something else, and you're over here doing its own thing, and you're like, come back here. This is how we are. We're sort of trying to get away from the body of Christ. And if in the body of Christ, you have a loving brother or sister come, you go, hey, what are you doing? Hey, what's going on? Hey, tell me, man. Oh, I don't want to hang out with him no more. All he does is talk about Jesus. Let me say this. If you're going to be passionate about Christ, you are going to lose some friends. If you're going to be passionate, you are going to have, you are going to have family members disown you or even not want to talk to you. You are, because the passion of Christ is, is so offensive to them. Now, again, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying for you and I to be obnoxious. I'm not saying for you and I to be like, well, I'm just my way around Jesus. I'm just saying just living passionately, bringing up your kids passionately for the love of the Lord. Listen to me, especially if you have kids, little ones. Now's not the time to be playing games. The world is, the world is, is it's ready. He's ready. He's ready to come back, and we want to instill that passion in the Lord. A sure sign of a spiritual attack on your life is you pull away from godly, uplifting relationships. You sort of want to go back into the old you. Let me give you number eight. The five do-nots to break the enemy's attack. So it's not really a sign, it's the five do-nots. Once you've taken a stand against the enemy's attack, here are the five do-nots you must remember. Okay, do not. Do not forget who made you. God created you with the storms in mind. He's equipped you, and you're going to make it through with him. So don't forget who you belong to. Don't forget who you are. The second, do not. Do not forsake time and a place of prayer. Two things that are vital to a successful prayer life, a time and a place of prayer. Do you have a Gilgal? 
Well, I don't know what a Gilgal is. A Gilgal is your special place where you go alone and you hang out, you and God, and, 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 it's, a, and it's just a simple place to get away so that you can pray, and it's your place, a Gilgal. And maybe it's in the closet. Maybe it's in a closet where you just, I'm going to go in there for a few minutes. I'm going to go, I'm going to go, we have walk-in closets now, but you can do that and you, you can just pray. Can you imagine? Where's my wife? What are you doing in the closet? You know? Get out. Oh, sorry. She's... But we got to have a time and a place. If you want to have a successful prayer life, a time and a place. Let me give you another do not. Do not forsake the place of power. Your church is a place of power. Here's where you come to be refreshed, to be equipped with the word of God. And I love the way that God set up church because he does something very interesting. From the pulpit, we get the word of God into our hearts, delivered so that we can apply it out there. But then God also uses you when you're here to encourage and uplift each other. The question is, is are you being an encourager as well? You come to... You come to church and you're like, instead of going, hey, let me, can I pray for you? How are you doing? How's your walk? Let me give you another do not. Do not forsake the power of partnership. It's good to be around people who have lived longer, done more than you've done, and can give you counsel, wise counsel. That's always good. Listen, God has never called us to be a Lone Ranger Christian. He's given us people that we can get counsel from. Let me give you the next one. Ready? Do not disconnect from pastoral protection. I've, I have often seen people under attack who, wanna, who wanted to pull close and help, but they refused. Don't disconnect from that pastoral protection. Don't wait until the enemy is tearing you to pieces to seek aid of those who are in a pastoral role in your life. These are the five do-nots of sign number eight. So let's close with this. If you're under attack, you can arm yourself against the enemy schemes. You can equip yourself to fight and win. And you go, Pastor, how? When coming under spiritual attack, you ready? Prayer is your most effective weapon. Robert E. Lee once said, knowing that intercessory prayer is our mightiest weapon, the supreme call of all Christians today, I pleadingly urge our people everywhere to pray, believing that prayer is our greatest contribution that our people can make in this critical hour. I humbly urge that we take time to pray, to really pray. Let there be prayer at sunup, at noondays, at sundown, at midnight, all through the day. Let us all pray for our children, our youth, our aged, our pastors, our home. Let us pray for our churches. Let us pray for ourselves that we may not lose the word concern out of our Christian vocabulary. Let us pray for our nation. Let us pray for those who have never known Jesus Christ, redeeming love, for moral forces everywhere, for our national leaders. Let prayer be our passion. Let prayer be our practice. So what should we do? Pray. Pray. And then when we're done, pray some more. Just pray some more.
Father, we thank you tonight for your love and, Lord, the word. God, we thank you. Father, as we look at these signs that we might be under attack, I pray if anyone here, Father, feels like they're, they're just walking with you, Lord, out of a, a duty and they've lost that, that desire, I pray for them right now. I pray that you would restore that loving feeling to them, that God, that you would automatically, Lord, wow, restore that. Help us to repent, God, and come back to you, to fall on our face. Father, I pray, I pray for anyone here, God, who's just tired tonight, physically. They've let the circumstances of all that's going on and just the, the three jobs and all that's happening, God, just, just physically wear them down. I pray, Lord, that they can be just restored physically. Father, I pray for those who feel like all their resources are at, at an end. And so, Lord, they're taking their eyes off of you and onto what they need to do to survive in this world. I pray that you would remind them that you are going to take care of them and that you are God. I pray, Lord, for all of us who have a weak prayer life, that, Lord, we've, we've left something at the door. We used, to be, we used to be prayer warriors, God, and now, Lord, if you get 15 minutes from us, we're, you're lucky. We feel, like, we feel like we're blessed. And Father, there used to be times when we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. Father, I pray for anyone here that's feeling overwhelmed and hopeless. That, Lord, you would restore God. That you would, you would help them to see the circumstances. You've got it all under control. And that when they surrendered their lives to you, that you took control of their life. I pray, Lord Jesus, that, um, that those old habits and lifestyles that resurface, that try to call us back, that, Lord, we, you would bind those in your name, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord. That those would be crucified once and for all. That those would never have the temptation power that they once had. That we would say no tonight. Father, I pray for anyone here that, that seems to just be pulling away from those godly relationships that one uplifted them, that once, that, once them, that they prayed and they walked with God, the prayer that they prayed with each other, and the love that they had. I pray that we would run towards those godly relationships and feel the encouragement and the love of Thank you for listening to me Calvary, Lord. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.